Well, our reading this morning, uh, as we wrap up Genesis for a while, since Advent starts next week, uh, is from Genesis 12. We're going to start in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Well, uh, we have a lot of voices in our lives. Uh, we are, we have the news, we have social media, we have our friends and our families, but the voice that we really need is God's. So let's go to, in prayer as we turn to the Word. Father, we want you to hear from you. We need to hear from you. So we pray that you would speak, that your Spirit would open our ears and pour into us the love of God, even this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what do you put your faith in? What do you put your faith in? I'm dropping out. Are we good? We'll see. Um, which is another way of saying, what do you trust in? Because I can ask you about your faith, and you might think that is a question about uh, what set of propositions do you agree with? <laughs> But that's not really the question. Lots of people think we agree with a whole set of propositions, but the things we actually are trusting in, day in and day out, are entirely different. This is nothing new. This has been the case through all of history. But we have to trust in a lot of different things, right? We trust in different people, different institutions. Uh, there's a, every few years, there's a study that comes out of the most trusted professions. So last year, back in 2019, uh, Forbes did one of these studies, and of course at the top of the list was nurses, Um, then there's doctors, school teachers, these are kind of the top. Clergy has been slowly, slowly becoming less trustworthy, now kind of in the middle of the pack, 37% say they trust clergy. Oh well. Uh, Of course, that's better than being at the bottom of the pile with the lawyers and the car salesmen 
and at the very bottom, the members of Congress. Uh, I, wonder, I wonder what an election year would, would, would rate the members of Congress at. I don't know. But uh, we have to trust somebody. We're always trusting in somebody. And we've been going through the series in Genesis, in the early part of Genesis, we started with creation, and we, we heard about the fall, and we've gone through several of these stories about sin. And as we saw that with Abraham, or Abram if you like, um, before God changed his name, and I'm going to slip up switching those two throughout this whole sermon, I'm sure. But with Abram, the, the beginning of redemption is here. Something changes with Abram. And we saw God's promises to him last week, and here we see him starting to live out his faith, his trust in God. So this is really a sermon about what faith is. And we'll see that, uh, you know, not only what is faith, but also the two things that always flow from it, obedience and worship. So we'll think about faith, obedience, and worship. It begins, of course, uh, in verse 1. Now, we talked about verses 1 through 3 last week, so I'm not going to go through those in, in great detail, but God says to Abram, go, leave everything behind. And he tells him that he's going to bless him with a great nation and a great name and that he in turn will be a blessing to all the nations. And we thought about last week how that actually doesn't really come true until Jesus shows up as the fulfillment of it. But Abram doesn't know all that. (laughs) Abram doesn't know that history. He is just following what God tells him. Go. And we see that he... It goes to the promised land. He, in verses 4 uh, and following, he, he responds to God. He, he leaves. He goes to the, this place, Canaan, which he didn't know where it was or what it was until he gets there. Did you notice that? It's not until verse 7 that God says, this is, by the way, this is the place I'm going to give you. So he is, uh, he's going through this promised land and finally learning what it's about. Finally getting some idea of what God is calling him toward. But he lives in a tent. And in fact, we'll spend his whole life living in a tent from here on out. Uh, As will his son, as will his grandchildren, is they will live a temporary existence in this promised land. But they haven't received it yet. When we look at There's an important passage, Hebrews 11, uh, in the New Testament, where uh, the whole chapter is dedicated to thinking about people who live by faith. And it begins, and it talks about a bunch of the people we've talked about, Enoch and Noah, and it gets to Abraham, and this is what it says. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And a couple verses later, it says, all of these, in other words, all the people we've been talking about in the series, died in faith, 
not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. As it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. What Hebrews helps us to see about what Abraham is doing here, or, or specifically about the faith that he's exercising, is that it always involves moving out into the unknown. It involves trusting another. It it involves desiring something that is better. This is so important for us to understand. Faith involves moving into the unknown, trusting in another, and desiring what is better. That's what biblical faith really is. So you can see that faith then is, on the one hand, you could say faith is blind, but in the sense that it is blind to the immediate future. It involves stepping out into the unknown. That doesn't mean it, it's counterfactual. It doesn't mean denying reality, but it does mean recognizing that there are things that we do not know about what tomorrow holds and the next day. It's a little bit like living in a pandemic, isn't it? (laughs) Not knowing what the next day will hold. But on the other hand, it doesn't mean being blind to the character of the one in whom you trust. You see the difference? Yes, we don't know what the immediate results of following God will be, of what, the, of what tomorrow will look like. But on the other hand, we are not blind to the character of God. You see, what we're trusting in is not tomorrow or the next day or the next day. What we're trusting in is God. We're trusting in His character. And the ultimate goal is something better. And specifically, as we've, as we've already said, all of these promises are really only realized in Jesus. That the better country is Jesus and the kingdom that he's bringing in. What they're hoping for is not just that they will own a plot of land in the Middle East. Or that they will have Lots of grandbabies. However nice it is to own land, however great it is to have children and grandchildren, and so on and so on, those are not what they're really hoping in. They're looking for something better. They're looking for God's reign on earth. So let me ask you this. When we're thinking about Christian faith, what is it you think of? Are you really thinking about God and trusting in Him? Or are you thinking about some fringe benefits that you think you might have in God? This is a, there's a big difference. There's a huge difference between 
putting your faith in some of those fringe benefits you get from God, or you might get from God, and putting your faith in Him. Because if you're looking for the fringe benefits, then you are going to judge whether God is trustworthy based on your present situation. Are things going great right now? And if things are tough, as you know, they always are at some point or another in your life, right? If things are tough, if you're going through a, a tough spell, if your situation changes, your circumstances change, then the questions flood in, right? Is God good? Is God really trustworthy? But God never promises that your life will be easy or free of difficulty. In fact, Jesus tells us the opposite, that in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. See what he's saying? Don't trust your circumstances. Trust me, for I have overcome the world. See, that one Puritan uh, author put it this way. He says, weak faith is all for the present. It's a very def- definition of weak faith. It's looking around at your circumstances rather than at God. You know, you, we can talk about the present, but we can also talk about the past. I mean, some of us, of course, are... We're looking at our current circumstances, is God good or not, but some of us are looking at where we've come from. And maybe there's guilt, maybe there's shame, maybe a little bit of both, and a crushing load under those. But of course, the past is also just the present that doesn't go away. It was what happened to you at one moment that sticks with you. But what the Bible's telling us over and over and over again is that our, our, the proof that God is good is not in our circumstances. It's not in what we have done. It's not in what others have done to us. But it is in what God has done. You see, the proof that God is good is in what He has done for you. And we can be more specific than that. It is in what Jesus has done what he was promising to Abraham, and what we know on this side of Jesus. He really makes good on, right? That Jesus paid for sin. Not just sin generically, your sin. Jesus paid for it. So you are not controlled by your guilt. That Jesus came to set the world right. So that you don't need to be controlled by your shame. Jesus came to set the world right so that your circumstances, however difficult they may be right now, would one day be set right. That your life would be made whole. That's what Jesus has done. That's why God is trustworthy. Not because your circumstances right now, or even what you've lived through in the past, are, are awesome. Of course they're not. The reason you can trust God is because He has proven Himself faithful over and over again. And most of all, He has proven Himself faithful by entering into the world, by enduring shame for you, 
by dealing with the difficulties of it, by bearing the burden of sin for you. That's what faith is built upon, is God's character, not our circumstances. Which might be why Lewis says, C.S. Lewis says, faith is the art of holding on to things your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing moods. Right? It's a, there is something about faith that's holding on. Not to the way things used to be. Not to the good things I have now. But to the way God has always been. So as the tide shifts, you have somewhere solid to stand. That's what faith is. But you can see that faith leads to obedience. Abraham is trusting in God, but he goes. At 75. That's what everybody wants to do with their retirement, right? Uh, is take the biggest risk of their life. At 75, he goes out from Haran. Uh, Haran's in eastern Turkey. He, does, he isn't completely empty-handed. He has his nephew with him and his wife, and they have some possessions. But as we talked about last week, this is incredibly risky because you're cut off from family. You don't own any land. This is the ancient world in which there is no international bank system. There's no, there's no way to... If tragedy befalls you, you are really in a bad way. If difficulty comes, where will you go? And he's going to live this tent life for however many years. I mean, I don't know if he thinks that that will end at some point. (laughs) But uh, he only acquires a little bit of land near the very end of his life. Uh, and it was a grave to bury his wife. The rest of his life, he is in a tent. He's described in Hebrews as being a stranger in an exile. That's a resident alien. And somebody who's waiting for the kingdom that they belong to to reemerge. It's costly, isn't it? Uh, Obedience is costly. This is something that we have to understand about faith, is there's a side of faith that's passive, right? That's trusting in the other person. And there are aspects of what we receive from Jesus that only come passively. Right? Your justification, your standing with God is only through Jesus passively received, right? But faith always continues to work itself out actively as well. It will produce obedience. And one theologian says, a faith that rests in God the Savior is a faith that is restless to do His will. A faith that rests in Him is restless to do what He wants. This is why obedience is so important. It's hard, though, right? Because it is uncomfortable, to put it mildly. The discomfort of obedience is something 
we have to remind ourselves over and over and over again. We, we've lived in the Western world, and maybe even especially in America, with the idea that we can be comfortable, we can live a regular life like anybody else, sort of live the American dream, right, that you can have it all and look good doing it, and be a Christian and faithful to God. The problem is you can't. Now, I want to be, I want to be careful here. Obviously, there are people who experience much more difficulty than others. And the discomfort of obedience for many of us will not, will not in comparison, be as great as it is for many other people. I mean, there are people who lose their careers, go to jail, maybe even risk their lives by trusting in God in other places, right? I mean, I don't think any of us are going to experience that in North Charleston. But we have to be clear, right, that obedience to God always means there are, there are going to be consequences that are uncomfortable. Relationships that we want to keep, relationships that we want to maintain, which are going to be strained if we actually follow the Lord. If we actually obey God, some of those relationships are going to get awkward. I mean, we're called to be sacrificial financially as Christians, right? Not only tithing, but also giving generously to those in need. We, there might be a toll on your career. Because sometimes you're put in a position where you know you've got to be faithful, right? But it might cost you. It might be easier emotionally to go along with somebody than to do what you know you're called to do. It, we've got to admit this, right? Because if we don't admit that obeying God is costly which by the whole Bible tells us, and especially, especially the New Testament tells us, uh, we will be surprised when the cost shows up. Uh, I saw it in campus ministry with people who are leaving home for the first time and showing up on campus. And finally started to realize, oh, if I listen to the Lord, this is going to make this conversation awkward. It's going to get weird with my roommate. Um, it might be hard for me to maintain the image I'm trying to keep up about who I am. I'm sure nothing like that ever happens in high school. Uh, I'm sure because I'm absolutely certain it happens. <laughs> but here's, what, here's the deal. It continues on your whole life, doesn't it? There's always somebody, a boss, to worry about, <laughs> a spouse to worry about, right? And doing the things we're called to do can be awkward, can be uncomfortable. Our children, our parents. And the deal is, you, it's true, because, not because I'm, you're waiting for some big moment, but because it's true day in and day out. 
that the cost we're being asked to pay shows up when we're tempted to tell that little white lie. Right? Just to, just to kind of keep the wheels greased, right? Because it would be awkward if I really told this person what I thought. The cost is there when we are tempted to hold a grudge. The cost is there when we're tempted to steal a glance. The cost is there when we're tempted with a hurtful word. And I know that many of these things don't seem that consequential. But that's part of the point. Because the more you hear stories about people who fell into big sins, in the sense that ones that have really damaging consequences in their life. So often the story that they tell in retrospect was about the little choices they were making along the way. So that when the big choice showed up, they didn't even recognize it for what it was. Because little by little, they had chosen their own heart over God's heart over and over and over again. And we are all doing that every day. Now, surely there are big choices that come up too. But recognize that the cost is still there day in and day out. So it's uncomfortable. (laughs) But obedience, and this is, I hope, what you hear more than anything else, there is also deep comfort in obedience. Because only in obedience does Abraham even get to see the promised land. Only in obedience does he get to hold his son in his arms. And this is a profound secret. It's an open secret. (laughs) But it's a profound thing to know, a comfort to have the Holy Spirit when we do obey. And it is only when we begin to think of our obedience this way and we bring that to the Lord in prayer that we start to find the comfort of the Spirit. Knowing that what we're doing is living more like God's child. Being conformed more and more to His image. Living into that better hope that we have. And that is a comfort that only comes through obedience. It's it's a comfort that you only get going through the discomfort of obedience. Is to know on the other side of that more of what it's like to be God. To be like Him in His character. Because that is the character of Jesus. Who endured... Discomfort is to put it so mildly right, what he endured for us. That he went through suffering and even hell itself on our behalf. And so to know that discomfort is to start to learn the more profound comfort, the deep secret of the faith of what the heart of God is like. So the question of obedience is whether we want to know God's heart 
from the inside out. Not just to receive externally the the blessings we hope come to us, but to learn to follow Him with our hearts. To see who He is and what He's like. And faith leads to obedience, but it also leads to worship. And this is the curious thing about this story. You know, it seems kind of boring, right? Like this is just Abraham on the road. Uh, But he starts in Haran, again, in eastern Turkey, which is just kind of above Iraq and Syria. And he's going down from the north. And if you recall what Israel looks like, it's kind of stretched north-south. And so he's moving from north to south through the whole of the land. I don't know if you noticed that, or if you know where these places are, but he, the first point that's mentioned is Shechem, which is about a third of the way down Israel, and the, uh, and the Oak of Moray, which is actually mentioned a couple other times. I guess it's <laughs> some obvious landmark, but, um, but he stops about a third of the way through, and God speaks to him, tells him, this is the place, and he builds an altar. And then he goes down to Bethel about halfway through Israel. Bethel will become a a pretty important site in the rest of Old Testament history, first in good ways and later in more notorious ways, but he stops there and builds an altar. And then it says he goes down to the Negev, which is literally the south, because the southern, I mean, that's just what that region is called in in the southern part of Israel. It's more arid, it's kind of a desert climate, and that's where he ends this initial trip. So what God has done is taken him on a guided tour through the promised land. And whether he knew it or not, that's what God was doing. And he is marking it with monuments to God, altars. These are places where he is remembering that God has spoken to him, But because he's being shown what he will get, it is a reminder of the future that lies ahead. And of course, in worship, it is orienting him to the present. And this is what worship does. It reminds us what God has done. It points us towards the future that lies ahead, and it orients us to who we are now, here, in your situation. That's what worship is about. It is about reminding ourselves, being told the story again and again and again of how good not we are, but how good God is. What He's already done for you, what He's going to do for you, and what He calls you to now. Over and over again, this is what we're doing in worship. And this is how you can tell real worship from fake worship. (laughs) Because fake worship... Is about taking comfort in ourselves. That you're enough. That you can do enough. That you can be good enough. That your performance is perfect. That the way that you see yourself is fine and good. But, the, but true worship, by contrast, teaches us not to take comfort in ourselves, but in God. That He is good that He is faithful, 
that what he provides is enough. That where you and I are often lacking, often failing, where our feelings are all over the place, God is sufficient because it is the comfort of the love of the Father that's proclaimed over and over and over again. It is the comfort of the grace of Jesus for you and the comfort of the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you, however imperfectly realized today, but the power that is at work in you. This is why you can't have faith and ignore worship. You can't have faith and ignore worship. I mean, it will, your faith will fall away. You will find that it evaporates. That's why it's always a dangerous thing to abandon the church. Because our faith needs to be reminded of what it is actually built on. And it so subtly shifts away to ourselves, trying to find comfort in who we are. But we need to be reminded over and over and over and over and over again of who God is, of what He has done for us, and in particular, in Jesus, and how He is the guarantee of all that we are promised. He has proven it in His death and in His resurrection. He will bring it one day, and now He is calling us to live by faith in Him. So if you want your faith to grow, or maybe you're not sure if you have faith, and you want to understand what it would mean, we have to come back again and again and again to the cross, to that moment in history that we can always hang our hat on. To that moment you can always say, I know that God's love has not abandoned me. To that moment that you can say, I know that God's grace is sufficient for me. To that moment which you can say, I know that God's power is greater than my weakness. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would grow our faith. Pray that you would teach us to trust more deeply in you. We pray that our faith would lead to obedience. Pray that even in the discomfort of following you, we would know the profound comforts of the Spirit because we are learning your heart. We pray that you would teach us to worship you. That we might find in celebrating what you have done, what you are doing, how we ought to live our lives even now. Build our faith, we pray, by your spirit and in Jesus. Amen.